Our God and Father, uh, we come to you with trust. It's the only way we can utter words. It's the only way we can utter words to a holy God, is trust through Christ. And that, that, that assures us when we go to, to explore these, these deep mysteries of, um, of belief in other cultures, other peoples, people made in your image. Forgive us our sins and clear our minds as we press in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you for joining me this morning um, for the second installment of um, Christianity and Islam. Um, I, I, I want to be clear, this wasn't a call to join uh, the faith, if that's what everyone's here for. This was actually, because <laughs> if so, we have a problem. <laughs> Got to call Andrew. Um, again, um, and if anybody has a, has a thought about the, the seating arrangement of the chairs, that's great. But let me let me back up just real quickly for those of us who weren't here last week. What we did, just a quick summary. What we did last week was do a historical overview. Where Islam comes from, the, ge- the geography of it, the geography and the history of it, and just tried to set up how, the importance of its um, uh, of, of its uh, of its presence around the where question, the where question, and that of course was Saudi Arabia, and that means it's bumped up against a number of other competing religious voices of the time, including Judaism and Christianity. And then we went into kind of the what questions, which is what happened, you know, what really happened that began to unpack and unfold the uh, the revelations of Muhammad, uh, the experiences of the early community how the early community understood itself historically, and then the spread of Islam. Another thing, I, a, a premise I put on the whole talk before, uh, which I, I, I feel like I should do every time, is I, I, do, I am a, a history professor, but you know, I'm not a, a scholar of Islam. I think that's important to say. Um, uh, most days I don't even know if I'm a scholar, but I, I'm... <laughs> but, I study. I don't study Islam per se, right? Um, but I do study Western religious thought, which it falls in. And, and uh, particularly important where I teach is uh, is we we want to expose all of our students to sort of the great ideas of history. And this, I think, arguably is one. I come at it from that angle professionally, but I come at this also from that deeply personal sort of experience that we've all had in our lifetime, especially the last 15 years or so, where we realize. Uh, this is a narrative that is not going away, uh, that is in, it's seemingly in a collision and in a, um, a struggle with some of the values we hold as, as Westerners and as Christians, and not that those two are synonymous. And, and so there's just that human factor and that human curiosity in this, you know, what, what really is going on? So I, I, I feel I have to premise that. With that said, let's talk about what we're here for today. And today we're going to do a little more excavating of the theology of Islam. Okay? And to understand Islam, you have to understand two things. You have to understand the Prophet Muhammad, which we did last week more. And you have to understand the Quran, which I'm sure all of you got up this morning and brought to church like I did. So... Um, uh, you have to. These these are really the two things you have to understand: the calling of Muhammad, and then what this book is. Uh, in many ways, what we call Christology in the Christian faith, the study of the doctrine, of the teaching and work of Christ, is how Islam approaches this text. It is the embodiment of the faith. 
okay? And I gave you a handout. I gave many of you a handout. I ran out. Uh, but if you can share, just trust us. We'll get to that momentarily, but it's selections from the Quran. Let me say more about the Quran to make sure we understand what we're, what we're talking about when we, as, we, as we wade into the theology of Islam. First of all, it has linguistic roots, like I told you last week. Muhammad was told, Qura, Qura. It's an Arabic verb. It means uh, to write, it can be translated a couple ways, to read or to recite. Qura. When the angel appeared to him in the cave at Mount Hydra, uh, the, the angel Gabriel told him to recite, to say these things, to communicate this. Quran is a noun. It's a collection of recitations, right? It's, it's, the, it's the whole body of, of the recitations. So keep that in mind. Um, it consists of 114 chapters and 6,000 verses. Okay? Uh, what, 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 what we want to remember as uh, in the Christian faith, though, is it's not organized the way we understand revelation divine revelation to be organized or how the Bible's been put together through the centuries under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the work of the church. It's not organized that way. Think about this. How is the Bible organized? It starts where? <laughs> yeah, it starts in the beginning. It doesn't leave you any mystery. In the beginning. And you get to the end and it actually says, this is the end, <laughs> right? I mean, it kind of <laughs> says that. It, it moves chronologically and historically. It moves historically redemptive. It starts with the beginning, the work of God in history and creation, and then we move through the narrative. We move through the chapters of God's work in history. We go to the, the, the early patriarchs. Well, create the, you know, the, the Noah and, the, and then the early patriarchs, and then um, on to Israel, and that, that sort of unfolding of history. But it moves chronologically, roughly. That's what I'm trying to say. And then we get into... Uh, of course, the New Covenant, the New Testament period. And once again, if you look at how it's organized, it's organized kind of historically, chronologically. The Gospels, Life of Christ, Work of Christ, Acts, uh, and then the letters, the epistles. Quran is not organized that way. The Quran actually begins with the largest revelations, the longest revelations. Okay, The revelations themselves, as I said last week, took place over a period between 610 and 610. 32, the prophet's, uh, Muhammad's death, okay? Um, the first revelation was private. We have no witnesses. The other revelations, we are told, were witnessed, and they involved a kind of um, trance-like state. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to impose a kind of psychology on it, but it's people, depending, they interpret it different ways, the kind of physical condition an emotional and mental condition that the prophet uh, Muhammad went into. Um, it is uh, so you start with the longest of what they're called the saras, is the, 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 the Arabic word for it, and it actually ends again not chronologically, but just that's it. That's the last one. It's just two sentences. That's the last revelation. So you start with the largest, longest text, and you end with the uh, smallest. It's about two-thirds or four-fifths the size of, of our New Testament if you were to take out uh, all the preface in this text. 
longer chapters preceding the shorter chapters. Now, to get to it, you also have to understand how Islam understands the question of revelation, right? And this is where it gets kind of interesting because the Islamic understanding of revelation is not dissimilar to the Jewish and Christian understanding of revelation or how God has made himself known. Revelation for the Muslims uh, occur in three forms. God has revealed himself, Allah has revealed himself in nature, in the created order. Okay. Uh, Allah has revealed himself in history. And then there's uh, God has revealed himself in plenary form or through a word. All right. Now, the reason why I say that's an interesting that that's pretty consistent with how Christianity understands God's revelation historically as well. That through the created order, through the acts of redemptive history or in history, and then as the sovereign over history, but then also we have a written word. We have a text. Um, so those uh, you could say, and I think people would uh, that, that, that study, you know, the overlap between the major three Western religions, Judaism, Christian, Christianity, and Islam, would say, wow, this is a tremendous point of continuity. And it is, except for the point of discontinuity. The point at which it does not hold together. And the point at which I believe that is most dramatic is in the plenary or the verbal. Or again, we're back to the Quran, right? And what it actually teaches. And I think there... That's the governing starting point for what's different about the whole system of religions between the three of us, putting Judaism aside for the moment, right? Um, we're, not, we're not doing that today. But, so remember those three forms. Now, what does this mean? Well, it, to say that God has acted in history, to say Allah, Allah has acted in history, is to, is to say that um, God has spoken to his people through time. We believe this as Christians. Okay? Specifically, the Quran says that God has spoken in history through time through a series of prophetic messages. This is, okay? Through a series of prophetic messages. Excuse me. And. What this means is, is that Muhammad is not the only prophetic voice of Islam. But he is the prophetic voice of Islam. Stay with me just for a minute. Islam teaches that God has acted through a series of revelations in time. And that those revelations begin and include prophets that we would agree have served God's purposes in history. For example, Islam holds that Moses was a prophet of Allah. Okay? Islam sees Abraham as a kind of prophetic, important figure in, in, in history. The Hebrew prophets, right? The Hebrew prophets themselves are considered sacred 
in Islam. They're considered to be prophetic figures that are, were to be heeded. And of course, most significantly, perhaps for us, is Christ or Jesus. They would not say Christ. Jesus is believed to be a very important prophetic voice in, in the Islamic faith. Well, again, this is murky, right? Because if you hear this, of course, the, the, I think the natural sort of question then is, okay, but obviously something's very different, right? So what is it that's different? If we were in a room with Muslim friends and were to be discussing this, uh, you know, uh, we know we don't agree. So the question becomes, where is it that we don't agree? Well, um, the problem is, according to the Quran, that the revelations that have been given through Moses and the prophets, the Jewish community even, and then the Christians later, the problem is they have been corrupted. That they do not sufficiently convey what God or Allah intended his word to convey. They were distorted. And they were distorted, particularly in the Jewish community and in the early Christian community. So the prophecies are real. Uh, Moses is real. Abraham's real. Uh, the Hebrew prophets are real. Jesus is real for a Muslim. Uh, but they're not sufficient. They're not sufficient because there has been interpolations and um, uh, changing. Uh, changes have been given to the text over time that corrupted the original message. In fact, it, what one way you could read it is extraneous or non-biblical. That's, a, that's a non-revelatory. How about that? non-Quranic material entered into God's revelation through the Jewish and Christian communities. And they failed, actually, the communities, not the prophets, they failed to adequately and correctly communicate what God wanted conveyed. Okay? Take the Jews just for a moment. Right? What did the Jews teach? Well, the Jews teach monotheism and Islam agrees with monotheism. But the Jews, unfortunately, also teach that they are the covenantal people of God. That they are chosen. That they are the agents of God in history. Islam says this is the major flaw and corruption in Judaism. The idea of chosenness and electedness as opposed to a kind of global or universal love of God for all people. Is that making sense at some level? So, so that it's the idea of selectivity and chosenness. This is a distortion, says the Quran. This is not the truth. 
Allah did not set aside the Jewish people as the covenantal people of God, and he did not work through them specifically. They selfishly, incorrectly, over centuries, made the revelation about themselves. What about Christianity? Well, this one is uh, interesting as well because Christians hold uh, that Jesus is God. We'll say more about this momentarily. Christians hold that uh, Christ is a deity, that he possesses deity. He is divine in nature, in his nature, right? Big argument of the early church. Um, this, says the Quran, this, says Islam, is the major error and corruption of Christianity. The early Christian, Jesus came as a prophet of Allah, a chosen prophet, an important prophet, okay? But, unfortunately, the early Christian community corrupted his teaching and turned him into a deity. Right? Say more about this in a moment because this is, I'm going to tease out some of the theological discontinuities here. But this is, this is our starting point. All right? Any paused questions at this point without chasing rabbits, but clarifications or, it's a lot. So think about distortion. Think about uh, corruption when it comes to how Christians and Jews are looked at uh, through the Islamic eye. It's not that uh, you're bad per se, it's that you're duped. Um, now, Great, we've got the Hebrew prophets, we have Jesus. Um, all right, what is this, why Muhammad? I mean, I think that's an important question. Well, you probably can see the logic of it. Why, the reason for Muhammad, uh, according to Islamic teaching, is that God was merciful. Bless you. God is merciful, right? God did not leave people in darkness, so to speak. He acted one more time, a final time in history, through the prophetic work of Muhammad. So basically what Muhammad becomes is the capstone, to use an Alabama phrase. <laughs> it becomes, it becomes the, 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 it's the, uh, uh, the, the final voice, the, 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 um, the one correction, you know, the, the one agency that Allah uses to come in and say yes, yes, yes to the Hebrew prophets and to uh, Jesus, but here's how you're supposed to understand them, right? Here's how you're supposed to understand what they said. So Muhammad is the great correction. He is the, remember the confession in the very first revelation. Uh, Allah is one and Muhammad is his prophet. Finally, stop, no more. That This is it. We finally have the great correction through Muhammad. This is God's mercy. This is not seen as uh, purely academic exercise. This is, merciful. this is a merciful God who's done this. As much as Islam understands or develops the concept of mercy, which is very different, I think, from how we start with our concept of mercy. Yes. So a similar... There, so Muhammad came in the similar context of Jesus. Is what they're they're saying is that right? Sort of where was yeah. there was a need for yeah 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 no that's good actually um, that's correct there was a need for um, a correction of course the you know 
in Christian theology, it's, it's, we're more nuanced and more, uh, we see greater continuity between the old and the new. So Jesus isn't, we don't see Jesus as a correction so much as a development of God's plan, a kind of, but, but at the same time, I, I like, it's a culmination of God's redemptive plan. But there's great, there's great continuity. There's the, you know, the lineage through Israel. There's the whole history of Israel. Um, and it, it's not that Jesus corrects Israel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, just let's keep moving. Um, but I, your point is well taken. That there is that similar, and I think that actually, actually anticipates where I'm going with this is how, how, what's really going on here, and how Muhammad was understanding Judaism and Christianity. I think that may be really important for understanding the Quran. So, in sum and, and quickly, easy way to remember this. Islam, for a Muslim, is not a new religion. It did not appear in the year 16, 610, and everybody said, yay, we have a new religion. That's not what happened. Islam sees itself as a development of the true religion. It's not a new religion with a new scripture. It is the oldest religion of all, that has finally come into its articulate divine form through Muhammad. Does that, does that help? Yeah. Islam is not a new religion. But it is, even though it's not a new religion, it is the final religion. It is the final revelation of God. And it is the fi- this is where you have to hold your hat. It's the final revelation of the same God of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. You see, this is the final word that God has delivered, right? And for a Muslim, they would say, thanks be to Allah for that. So continuity, uh, but severe discontinuity at, at the same time. And we'll say more about that. Now, if you'll look at your, those of you who have them, and I apologize for the shortage, but just if you'll bear with me, you'll hear this. I brought this, a copy of this text from the Imrans, which is one of the early chapters in the Quran, okay? This is one of the early chapters in the Quran. Let, let me just show you. Let me just, through this language, let's just look at how, what I mean, uh, how you will see the, the imprimatur, the, the fingerprints of the Old and New Testament if, if you read through the Quran. It's all over it. It's all over it. Um, top of uh, 257, he has revealed to you the book with truth, confirming the scriptures which preceded it the Torah and the the New Testament. He has already revealed the Torah and the gospel for the guidance of men and the distinction between right and wrong. See? Okay. Go to the next page on uh, page 258. Uh, 319. The only true faith in God's sight is Islam. Those to whom the scriptures were given disagreed among themselves through jealousy only after knowledge had been given them. You see, there's some, in this particular revelation or word of Muhammad, he sees some kind of problem or dispute in the earlier interpretations of Judaism and Christianity. Now, part of what this is telling us historically 
is that Muhammad was very, well, let me qualify my adverb. He was familiar with Judaism and Christianity. He knew something about them. Okay? Um, go over to the next page, and I have my pitiful notes there, but um, in the margins. Um, God exalted Adam and Noah, Abraham's descendants, and the descendants of Imran above all the nations. They were the offspring of one another. God hears all and knows all. Imran, if you, uh, if, if you look at my marginal scribblings that I use when I try to do this with students, it's, it's actually a, he's a figure from Exodus 6.20. Okay? Uh, he was the fa- he, in, he's believed to be the father of Moses and Aaron. And somehow, in the Quranic version and in the Islamic version, he, he jumps through history and is also the father of Mary and Jesus. So he, Imran plays a role both in the Old and the New Testament, all right, uh, it, uh, from our interpretation. But the, the, look at the words. In simplicity, there's Adam, there's Noah, there's Abraham. You know, Sunday school people that we learn as children that are part of the continuity of the faith. Um, look at, uh, let's just read a little bit more here. When how he interprets Mary. Um, and when she was delivered of the child, she said, Lord, I have given birth to a daughter. God well knew what she was delivered. The male is not like the female and have called her Mary. Protect her and all her descendants from Satan, the accursed one. Her Lord graciously accepted her. He made her grow a goodly child and entrusted her to the care of Zacharias, another name from the Bible. Whenever Zacharias visited her in the shrine, he found that she had food with her. Mary said, where is this food from? It is from God. God gives without stint to those whom you will. He dropped down a couple of lines and as he stood praying in the shrine, the angels called out to him saying, God bid you rejoice in the birth of John who shall confirm the word of God. He shall be princely and chaste, a prophet and a righteous man. Go down a little further, 346. The angel said to Mary, said to Mary, God bid you rejoice in a word from him. His name is the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary. He shall be noble in this world and in the hereafter and shall be favored by God. He shall preach to men in his cradle and in the prime of his manhood and shall lead a righteous life. He will instruct them in the scriptures and wisdom in the Torah and the gospel and send him forth as an apostle to the Israelites. Uh, just pause quickly, and uh, but but notice how we're getting almost an impressionistic. If you've read the Bible, you're getting this sort of impressionistic sort of strangeness. Like, okay, Mary, Jesus, he's supposed to do something. There's John, Zachariah. You know, you're getting a kind of. I would I would say if you're reading it from Christian lens, you're, you're seeing almost a, a kind of. Um, it's like it's been cut, you know, and then kind of repasted back together. The story is in some ways, you know. You look over on 261. Um, they plotted and God plotted. God is the supreme plotter. He said, now the they here are the Jews. Jesus, I am about to cause you to die and lift you up to me. I shall take you away from the unbelievers and exalt your followers above them till the day of the resurrection. Um, 
Jesus is like Adam in the sight of God. He created him of the dust and then said to him, Be, and he was. Uh, let's go over to the next page. Um, people of the book. These are Christians. People of the book. Why do you argue about Abraham when both the Torah and the gospel were not revealed till after him? Why do you Christian and Jews argue about the meaning of these things? You scribes and you, uh, and you rabbis. You know, why are you doing this? People of the book. Um, and then finally, just to move through, two, just to get the idea here, 263, uh, bottom of the, the page, say, we believe in God and what is revealed to us and that which was revealed to Abraham and Ishmael, to Isaac and Jacob and the tribes, and in that which their Lord gave Moses and Jesus and the prophets. We discriminate against none of them. To him we have surrendered, surrendered ourselves. Okay. So there you go. There, this is just one selection, and the, the Quran is full of these. Again, these sort of almost impressionistic kaleidoscope. Remember those things? You turn, and they line up different ways. It's like, okay, you've got the Bible, and you're looking at the, the light through your kaleidoscope, and it's the good, solid teaching of a place like Advent, but then you turn it, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that's fitting together differently, but it's the same people. And you turn it again, and it's fitting. It's turning again, and it's fitting together differently in the same it's the same people let me try to tease this out in the next few minutes quickly about how the what the differences are that may help us understand why it's fit together differently first even though islam is monotheistic it is not monotheistic the way we understand monotheism specifically islam has no room for the trinity that's part of why jesus is portrayed as of dust in that passage. Jesus is human. Okay? There's no pluralistic concept of God in Islam. There's no tritheism. That's what they would call us. Tritheist. In the Muslim mind, we worship three gods. Okay? There's no room for that. Second, the deity of Jesus. The Quran denies... I think you've caught on now. The Quran denies the deity of Jesus, right? There is no divine Christology that looks there's any way uh, that, that Christ could have been God because Allah is completely transcendent. His glory cannot enter into flesh. And here, we have, if we have some historical uh, you know, sort of shoveling and digging here, we realize this is a very profound and common heresy in the early church free centuries that Jesus is a great teacher some of this has been called the Arian heresy it's been called the Docetic heresy we're not worried about all that the point is Islam's not new in this Islam is not a new religion that has said Christ does not possess divinity it's it's actually an old problem from the very early days of the arguments of the of the church fathers about the divinity of Christ and where scripture is perfectly uh, clear about the divinity of Christ um, and, and his place in the Godhead as the Son, Islam rejects that, re- rejects that. So in terms of the monotheism, no Trinity, no Jesus as God. There's no atonement in Islam. There's no atonement. And in that regard, there's a very different understanding of sin. The Quran says a great deal about sin and the violation of God's will, but it says nothing about 
how that is that changes us internally. That it, that it says nothing about how grace or mercy turns us through the act of an atonement of an atoning God. It's an act of obedience on our part. It's pure obedience. Okay, this is the word of God. Submit. Okay. Um, so there's no concept of atonement. Uh, you know, one question that has arisen over century, last you know, for a while is, is there is there a possibility that Muhammad living in the 600s could have been exposed to very popular Near Eastern Gnostic teaching or teachings of secret teachers, you know, who had kind of the, the inside track. You pay them and they can you send your kids to study with them and they fill your head full of all kind of knowledge that that they would otherwise horrify their parents a lot like college. And they uh, and they that, and, and, you, and you begin to wonder if, if Muhammad was exposed was exposed to some of that, a kind of, um, uh, you know, it, it, because it's a lot of the, the way the Quran develops uh, the image of Christ seems to follow that pattern of the Gnostic sort of secret teacher who, uh, um, who God loved. They didn't, they didn't, there is no concept of crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus, this is, they're adamant about this. Indeed, they say this was a trick of the Jews. We, the Jews, killed the Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, who was an apostle. But they neither killed or, they say this. But, says Islam, they neither killed nor crucified him. It just appeared so. Again, that was the old docetic problem. Uh, from, you know, okay, well, this Jesus was important, but he really was just kind of a Superman kind of guy. You know, he was kind of a, so we're seeing this sort of reified here. Um, so there is no atonement. There's no vicarious uh, uh, atonement between God and humans. In, in, the, in Islamic theology, there's no need for that. There is, uh, there, there is uh, obedience, okay? The, um, so the question then, how, how are you saved in Islam, right? What does salvation look like? Salvation looks like submission. It is submission to the word of the prophet, and it is following uh, the teachings of the leaders of the Ummah who interpret the word of the prophet. It's participating in the five points of Islam, or the five pillars of Islam, uh, and it is obedience. It's living that way, and in that sense, th this is where... I kind of started as this is their Christ. It's not a person. It's it's a series of concepts and actions and mandates that have been put down over a 20 year period, 22 year, 22 year period. Um, another. Uh, um, another another point of continuity that's different is that Islam does teach a, a, a resurrection. There's a resurrection and a judgment in the Islamic world. This is similar to our eschatology, but of course it's very different. Their understanding of uh, of paradise and such it all has to do with how you have submitted through the teaching of uh, the Quran. And, and what I would push us here in the last minute to say because uh, I know there are no questions. Um, <laughs> I don't have any. I got this. Uh, 
from my, from my point of view as a believer, Muhammad and the Quran, they fail to grasp the difference between New Te- Testament uh, Christianity and, um, and, uh, and its continuity and discontinuity with Judaism. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the old and the new are related. And it, back to that kaleidoscope metaphor, it begins to assemble and reassemble it in ways that are just frankly corrupted uh, from the Christian point of view. I'm not accusing a Muslim of being corrupt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's a, I, be, I would argue that the interpretation is it's a misreading. It's a mishearing and a misreading of, of the relationship between the old and the new. Uh, covenants and between Israel and the church and you begin to see that when you get these fragments that don't line up Mary is a classic example you see my listen to this you know how many times the New Testament mentions Mary refers to uh, Jesus and and Mary together Um, once the Quran mentions it 22 times there are all these sarahs or, or passages about Mary and Mary's role in all this uh, and, and, the, and her role in the plan. Itself. And it's interesting because what that, of course, then makes you think is what arguments are going on in the 5th and 6th century church that could have been prevalent in the Arabian world at the time but weren't understood perfectly either. Okay? So to back it up just for a moment as I, as I conclude, um, the point is that we have elements of language and overlap that we would recognize, but it's been put together in a different kind of puzzle. And when we look at that puzzle, it does not look like the faith we profess. It looks like someone who has had fragments of it and even a respect for it, but has put it together through a Gnostic sort of lens of this means something else. Any questions? <laughs> Don't say it. <laughs> Real quick, I guess we have time. And then next week I want to catch us up to the modern world. Yeah. So um, are you going to talk about sort of what happens between first century Christianity yeah. blooming and yeah. then yeah. Muhammad? Because well, there's got to be I, a lot of stuff going on. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on, and we don't really know. What we do know, I, I don't think it. We, we, I think we can say unequivocally, whoever Muhammad was, he was familiar with Jewish and Christian teaching very imperfectly. Is there a dominant religion, if at all, in the Arabian Peninsula prior to Muhammad? It's, it's, there's not. It's all polytheism. There's not a dominant religion. It's a good point. Because you mentioned corruption being a major threat yeah. through Islamic thought. Yeah. Do modern Islamic apologists make use of critical <coughs> biblical scholarship to try to sort of use leverage against yeah. the prevailing Christian notions? Yeah, uh, my understanding is yes, <laughs> they do. But you're also at an esoteric level that it's in that realm of high, you know, the academic yeah. Islam as opposed to Islam of the street, you know, the Islam of the of the mosque. So, it's uh, a great question. Yes, sir. So, I believe Jesus was a prophet. Yes. And Jesus. And priest and king, according and, to us. And, and he and he was corrupted, or he. He was not. He was not corrupted. Matter of fact, matter of fact, an important note here: Jesus was actually taken up into heaven. So. When Jesus says that he is 
that he is God? Yeah. Is he corrupting himself? I mean, what? what I don't, well, just part of the kaleidoscope. So, so not. I'm I'm now a little bit nitpicky here. We don't actually have a passage that said where Jesus says, "I am God." <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean. I'm saying, it, but it's important because. Now you got to think like, how does an outside religion interpret that? You see, what we have is, he does say, "I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no man cometh to the Father save by me." I mean, what we have is derivatively a perfect understanding that this is God. This is God's Son. It is rejected. It is just fundamentally rejected. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. All right.